thankful that you're here. If you have your Bibles, we're in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 today, so if you'd turn there, that'd be great. Um, I have a friend who uh, was one of my college roommates, and uh, he actually lives in Tulsa now, and he married a girl from Russia. And, and so we had them over for dinner one night at our house, and, and so we were just talking about the transition from Russia to the United States, and I, and I asked her, I said, tell me, like, what was hard to learn about America? And she said, you know, it's interesting, Americans are sarcastic, and, and in Russia, we're not sarcastic. I, I've had a hard time trying to learn, are, are you being sarcastic, or, or do you really... Are you being serious? She, she had a hard time uh, trying to discern that. And I thought, oh, that's funny, because even at the dinner, I was sarcastic. And she's like, do I laugh? Do I not laugh? She wasn't sure at certain times. And, but then she said something really interesting. She goes, but I've learned that one thing that Americans are never sarcastic about, and it's money. Anytime money comes up, they're always serious. And I thought that was kind of funny, because it is really an interesting um, uh, spotlight on our American culture, that, that we really are consumed with money. And Ecclesiastes has been such an important study for us. And, and, and I'm finding that the more I read Ecclesiastes, the more I feel like uh, it's reading me. Uh, it's almost like the book of Ecclesiastes, when I read it, that, that the writer was paying attention to the news this week because it's so relevant to where we are and how we live. And, and it's a book that, that we've called the series The Dash because it deals with the dash of our lives. The, the dash meaning like if you go to a, a cemetery, you're going to look at a tombstone and you're going to see the date of birth and the date of death. And the dash is going to describe everything that took place in that person's life. And so it's full. The dash is full of of interesting twists and turns and, and moments with the Lord. And, and what, what Ecclesiastes is, is Solomon is the writer of Ecclesiastes, and, and he, in this book, speaks to the ups and downs of life. And, and, and it's, it helps the preacher here. He's identifying himself in the book. He doesn't say Solomon wrote it, but most scholars believe that he did, and we can see evidence of that. But he calls himself the preacher, and it's interesting because it's a little bit of a philosophical journey about life. And Solomon, what he did is he systematically tested every conceivable pursuit in this life. And it's interesting because his, his findings, his, the end result of his discovery or of his systematic testing was that he needed to follow the Lord. And the, and the times that he didn't follow the Lord were futile were meaningless. They, they didn't pan out. And it's an important lesson for us to learn if you're going to summarize the entire book of Ecclesiastes, and I've done this almost every week because I want us to understand it, but it's simply this, that a life surrendered to God's purposes is the only path to genuine meaning. And I believe that is absolutely true. I believe that, that the only way you and I are going to find meaning in this life is for us to be surrendered to the purposes of God. And that's what I love. I'm grateful about being a church, being a part of a church, because as we are serving together and walking together, we can push one another and challenge one another to walk with the Lord. 
And I'm grateful for a children's ministry, for a, for a student ministry that is going to be in the lives of our kids, uh, be in the lives of, of every age group, because we, we are a multi-generational church, and it's one of the greatest strengths that we have. That we have, this year we've seen, every, we've seen people saved from children all the way to senior adults. And this has been a blessing in the life of our church. But, but we are to push one another at every stage of life to walk with the Lord. Now, in the book of Ecclesiastes, you see a lot of things. You see, uh, you see this term, under the sun. It actually occurs 29 times in the whole book of Ecclesiastes, under the sun. And what that is talking about, what the preacher is revealing is, is how do you live life um, on, after the fall of Adam and Eve and up until the time that Jesus returns and we all go to heaven? And, and, and heaven is the, is the end of time happens. And it, this, the book of Ecclesiastes deals with everything under the sun on this side of eternity. Uh, the word vanity is listed 37, 37 times because all through these earthly pursuits, these pursuits apart from God, it was meaningless. Uh, upon the earth, is seven, it occurs seven times, and, and he's talking about life on this earth. And, and, and Solomon learned the need of a God-directed life. And the blessing of the book of Ecclesiastes and the study of the book of Ecclesiastes is it helps us learn the wisdom from Solomon so we don't have to find all these things out by our own experience. Now, that's wisdom, isn't it? Wisdom is, is learning from somebody who went before you and learned, we're going to learn from their mistakes. And the blessing of God is he's put things in his word so that we can walk with him and understand him. And, 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 and we, we are learning that, that God's way is, is not only the best way to live, but it is. It's not only the best way, but, but following Christ, looking to him, is the only way that you and I will adequately prepare for that meeting that we will have with the Lord. Because you know that every one of us will walk through that door called death at some point. And when that happens, what happens? We stand before the Lord. And, and, and I pray that we are a group of people that, that are prepared for that day. Because that's an inevitable moment on all of our calendars. Now, we don't know when and how and all those things, but it's going to come for every one of us. We are mortal. And that's why we have, to lead, we have to look at the book of Ecclesiastes through the lens of Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and 14. Now, this is why, and if you're new today, we have challenged every one of us to memorize that verse. Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and 14. And I, I want to invite you to that journey. Memorize that verse. Look at it with me. Just flip over. I know you're in chapter 5, but flip over to chapter 12. He says this. This is the lens that every chapter in the book of Ecclesiastes is to be understood. And, and we cannot miss this point. And I, don't want, I want us to, as a church body to understand the book of Ecclesiastes. And so we have to see it through 12, 13, and 14. Because he gets to the end and he says, The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commands. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring everything, every secret thing into judgment. Um, every secret thing, whether good or evil. God sees us, and this is the lens that we're to understand this. Now, um, basically what this means is that given, on, given enough time, if you, 
If you pursue something that is apart from God, given enough time, that will result in meaninglessness for you. But if you follow Christ and you surrender to his purposes, you'll never regret it. Now, we're in chapter 5, and my prayer is that the wisdom of God becomes our experience. And this is what I pray for us as a church. This is what I pray for my family, my kids. As, as we walk through every milestone in life and, and our nest is getting emptier at our house, and, and one of the things that I pray for my kids as, they, as we send them into the world, as they are like, we're saying adios um, to them, that, that they recognize that wisdom is available to them. And that the wisdom of God becomes their experience. Now look at chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 8. Because here he gives us a 2020 vision of how we should view money and our stuff and our giving. Verse 8, chapter 5. Look at this. If you see in a province, well, no, excuse me. Let's stand together. Let's stand as we read God's word. Thank, I forgot that. So, but I don't want to forget that because that's an important practice that we have. Because I like standing in honor of God's word because it's his word that is speaking to us. And I almost jumped right in and forgot that. So um, first time, I think, in almost eight years. So that's okay. Um, Chapter 5, verse 8. If you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter. For the high official is watched by a higher And there are yet higher ones over them. But this is gain for every land in every way, a king committed to cultivated fields. He who loves money, verse 10, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money. Nor he who loves wealth with his income, this also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. There's a grievous evil that I've seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. And those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is a father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days... He eats in darkness and much vexation and sickness and anger. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and to find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. And this is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, man, there's so much insight and wisdom in here. Like I mentioned earlier, I have a conviction 
I've had a conviction for our church. This conviction has turned into a prayer, and now this prayer is a goal that I have as a, for, and I, I'm praying for us both individually and corporately as a church. And I'm praying that, that God moves us to financial maturity. And now let's, let's talk about this for a second, because when you look at our church, um, financially, we're, we're doing pretty well. You know, when you think about where we are as a church body, um, I, was, I was, had a meeting with a guy in Baptist Life, Oklahoma Baptist Life, and he, he's the head of the Baptist Foundation, and he came and met with me, and, and he and I sat down together, and he said, um, hey, tell me about how the church is going. So I was like, you know, I really feel like we need to grow financially. He goes, well, tell me about it. And so I started telling him about, well, we just finished the mission, and we, we paid cash for it. And we bought the land by cash, and then we built the building with cash. And, and, but, but, you know, we're, we're, and we're saving, we're, we're starting to save a little bit. Right now, this year, we're, we're saving 5.5% of our budget uh, every week. We put that into savings. And, um, and, and he was listening. He was like, huh. And I was like, but we really need to grow up financially from what I see. And he goes, well, Chris, I sit with a lot of pastors, and I think you're doing pretty good. And, and, and I appreciated that, but I also recognized the temptation and the warning of that. That we need to be careful that we don't look this way and compare ourselves. But we, we don't look horizontally. Because when you look horizontally to compare yourself, you know what you find? You always find somebody that has more and somebody that has less. You find somebody that's doing better and somebody that's doing worse. But, but see, the standard, the, the call of our lives is not to look horizontally, but to look vertically, isn't it? It's to look at God and say, God, what, are we pleasing you? Are you be honored with what we are doing, with how we are living? And, and you know, when I think about us as a church, and we're, we're, we've got a project that we're working on right now, we're, wanting to, we're, we're needing to renovate the Fellowship Hall, and, and we are, we are going to be patient and, and do this when the money arrives. Now, could we go get a loan? Absolutely. We are, we are debt-free as a church, and that's good. But isn't the enemy of great good? Don't, don't so many people settle for good and miss God's, the great plans that God has for us because we settle for good? And I would argue for us as a church and this is a little bit of an internal message. If you're a guest, just welcome to our, our party today. But, but we need to grow up financially. We need to become more mature. Now, it doesn't feel good for us to look at it and go, hey, we need to mature. Have we had those conversations that, that you, I mean, I've had those conversations with my parents or with spiritual leaders going, hey, grow up, Chris. Mature a little bit. But folks, let's be honest, we need to mature a little bit. We need to grow, because I would argue that most of us are not, we're not able to look at the Lord and say, God, as a follower of you, as one's changed by you, as one surrendered to you, in America, we are reluctant to surrender to him financially because we hold on to our stuff. Now, Solomon speaks to this. And in the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, 
we've got to hear this. Now, I want, to say, I want to say this. I believe God is absolutely moving us and will move us to financial maturity. I believe that. Because it's a, it's a conviction that's turned into a prayer that God is moving us to a goal. So just be ready. All of us, and I pray that those of us that are really walking with the Lord and are really plugged into this church and this is our home, we will be moving to, we will experience financial maturity. But let's not forget, as we move to financial maturity, we must be faithful to not trust in our finances, but remain trusting in the Lord. Because it's easy for us to trust in our finances and not trust in the Lord. So let's, let's just hear that. And let's, remit, let's have this proper view because, because I, I think that Ecclesiastes is helping us um, learn some things about our finances. Look at verse 8. Or let's go to verse 10. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, he says. If you love money, it won't satisfy you. We see this. This is in the news every day. We see those people that win the lottery and all of us think, I mean, I saw a lady that in front of me a quick trip one day and I'm getting gas and she, she bought like 40 bucks worth of lottery tickets and went and got in a car that looked like had duct tape on it. I'm like, you might ought to put that money to your car and you could remove the duct tape, you know. And, and I'm thinking, we have this vision, this thought that, oh, man, all those people with money, they got it all together. Well, Solomon was the wealthiest man that has ever lived and ever will live. Grab that in your mind for a second. Nobody was wealthier than Solomon. I would call him an expert on this subject. And God has put, moved him to write these things down so we would learn this. And what does he say? If you love money, you'll not be satisfied with money. You won't. You think you will, but you won't. For he who loves wealth with his income, this also is vanity. And then he says, when goods increase, they increase who eat them. Have you seen this in your life? Like when your money, guess what? The, anytime you got a raise, you figured out a way to spend that real quick, didn't you? And you're like, oh, man, I got this raise. Oh, this is so great. But, oh, it's gone. Where'd it go? That's the way it is. When goods, goods increase, they, those who eat them increase. What advantage has their owner but to see, but to see with his own eyes? Um, verse 12 is interesting. Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much. But, the, you know, if you're just a laborer, you go to sleep and you're like, good, I'm going to bed. See you. Good night. But if you own it, guess what? You're taking Zantac, aren't you? That's kind of the modern version. Uh, you're taking antacids right there. Your stomach is not sweet, it says. Your stomach will not let him sleep. Verse 13, there is a grievous evil that I've seen under the sun. Riches were kept by the owner to his hurt. Sometimes we keep things and it's to our own hurt. Let's hear that. And those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is the father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. Verse 15 is a reality. Let's hear it. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. 
So what you, you came into this world not wearing brand new Birkenstocks, right? You, you didn't have uh, the designer polo Lululemon pants on when you were born. You didn't have those on. And the Bible says that when you die, they may put Lululemon pants on you in your coffin, but you aren't taking them. You're leaving them behind. I'm embarrassed that I know the Lululemon. I'm embarrassed about that. But I do, unfortunately. I don't have any personally, which I'm grateful for. Moreover, all his days, he eats in darkness and much vexation and sickness and anger. And I've seen this in my life. I've seen some of the most wealthy, some of the wealthiest people that I've known are often the most miserable, the most greedy, the most alone. And so, know that. Let's believe God over your own perspective. Behold, what I've seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and to find enjoyment in all the toil which one toils under the sun, the few days of his life that God has given to him, for this is his lot. Why is it so hard for us to accept the lot in our lives? And I feel this. You know, we, we, I, I have the tendency to look at Facebook and Twitter and see everybody's highlight reel and believe their highlight reel versus the reality of life? And how much time do we spend going envious over someone else's highlight reel when we really don't know what's going on in their lives? And so this is what he's saying to us, that, that why, why can't we just enjoy what God has given us? And and I, find, I face the temptation of looking at, uh, at pastors that post on, man, I preached last week and like 700 people got saved. And I'm like, oh, cool. I, lo- I would love that, you know. But, but why can't we just enjoy that God has called us to this place and this spot? Let's enjoy the work of our hands and the, and, what, and, and the cars we drive. And I'm not saying we shouldn't have goals and we shouldn't strive to, to do better. Because we should. We're going to see that here in just a minute if I get to the points. But, but let's, let's be grateful for the lot, the position that God has given us, the work that we get to do. Let's be thankful for the work of our hands rather than be envious of some other work. Because I would argue that maybe we spend more time being envious over somebody else's work that we neglect the work we're supposed to do. And maybe we should just turn our face to what God wants us to do. And that's why it's important to look to the Lord and say, God, we're not going to look horizontally and gauge are we doing good <clears throat> compared to you name the church, life church or Church of uh, Battle, Battle Creek. I love Alex Amaya, and I played tennis against Craig Groeschel. He beat me, if you want to know. I hate, hated that. But, but I, you know, I, there's some good leaders around us. But let's look at what God wants us to do. 
sometimes we get, uh, have a tendency to look at some other person in their, your job or your career and you miss what God wants you to do. Let's be grateful. That's what he says. Everyone also, verse 19, everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power and enjoyment and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in, the to- in his toil. This is the gift of God. If we can just rejoice in what God has called us to do, it's a gift from the Lord. So let's, as a church, embrace the gift that God's called us to do. So now, what does that mean? Well, let me get to some points today. Point number one is this. It's my pray the, prayer that, and my, my conviction that has been a prayer that has turned into a goal that we learn to give generously. Can I challenge us to, to, to learn to give generously? That, that God moves us to be generous givers? And this is, this is a, it's a joy to give. And, and some of you have never experienced the joy of giving I mean, you can see this in studies with little children, that when they learn to give, they enjoy giving more than they do taking. And, and studies have shown this. Now, you may go, are you kidding me? I've seen the fights. And yeah, we, we have a sinful nature, and we see this in our children. And all of us have looked at our children and wanted to walk up and go, come out, you demon, come out. But the reality is kids teach us, little kids teach us that there is joy in giving. And I would argue that some of us, if we've missed that, we should learn to give generously. What does that mean? Well, first word is a priority. Giving needs to be a priority. And, and, I, and I pray that, that we learn, like Proverbs 3.9 says, that we're to give our first and our best to the Lord. It, it's a, it's a, it should be a priority for us to give. And, and that's, that's important to understand. And, and I want to ask you, is giving a priority for you? And for you to walk with the Lord and, and for, the, for you to have the right perspective on your money, giving must be a priority. Giving should also be proportional. And this is a practical reality of giving. That, that all through the scripture, we're, we're taught about proportional giving. And this is what I mean, that, that, that I, we have learned as Robin and I have, 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 our jobs have changed and all these things. And as our income has changed, we've learned that, that when we are paid more, we give more. And this is the reality of how proportional our giving should increase as our income increases. And so I hear people get into arguments, oh, well, Old Testament talks about tithing, New Testament doesn't talk about that. Look, all through Scripture we learn the value of proportional giving. And I want to challenge you to become a tither. Do you know that I've never met a former tither? Uh, Never. Because when you start tithing, you realize, wow, God's math works out way better than yours. You watch. You try it. Giving should be a priority. It should be proportional. It should be sacrificial. This is the reality of giving. We should learn to uh, that, that our giving, it occurs first, not last. And some of us, our habits of giving is, well, I'll see what I have left over. No, our giving should be first, and you'll see how that works out in your life if you just experience and trust the Lord with that. Um, giving does not include an exclusion clause, and sometimes we, we have this. God delights in those who obey him even when it's not convenient. 
And can I tell you, this, it's our giving where we learn that. Because that, that, sometimes we want our walk with the Lord to be convenient for us. But can I tell you, when you walk with the Lord, it will be a lot of things, but most of the time it will not be convenient for you. You will be constantly moved to take steps of faith. And even, and hear this, even when we move to spiritual financial maturity, God will often move us to sacrifice, to steps of faith, to surrender to his voice, to not trust in our checkbook, but trust in his spirit. It should be sacrificial. It should also be cheerful. Giving should be cheerful. And, and, and you learn this. The more you give, the more you go, oh, I can't wait to do this. You know, one time uh, we went on a mission trip with our students, and it was just kind of an experiment, and, and we went to Mexico. And, and as, as I, before we went, we, we took up an offering, a cash offering, and we had like $1,500. And I said to our students, hey, we have $1,500 in cash. We are going to pray for God to show us a need that we can meet as, on this trip somewhere. And I said, I don't know what's going to happen. So we had $1,500 that we just took with us. And I said, hey, let's all together, we had like 100 kids that were going on this trip, let's all together pray, God show us the need. And we're driving all the way to south, through South Texas and New Mexico, and we stop in, in Waco at this, at this group of restaurants. And sure enough, there was a, a guy and a family that was stranded on, and their, their car was messed up, and they were like, oh, they were so distressed. And we pull up for lunch. And some of our kids go, hey, Chris, Chris, come here. The, these people, they, they're, they're really distraught. And, and, and uh, the dad was really uh, sad, and they, they just like, oh, goodness, this is a real blow. And, and so we walked up and said, hey, would this help? We gave them like 500 bucks. We didn't give them the whole 1,500. We gave them 500. We cried. Oh, my goodness. And our kids got to experience that, the joy of giving. I'll tell you what, they learned the cheerful giving. Can I, can I push you to a challenge to take off here? I got to hustle because I'm, I'm running out of time, and I got like a bunch more left. But So hold on. Ready? Here's the takeoff challenge. Can I challenge you with something? You better write fast on this one. I want to challenge you starting today. If you're not tithing, month one, month one through three, I want to challenge you to give 1% of your gross income. Okay, this is a six-month or a one-year journey to becoming a tither. Month one through three, give 1% of your gross income. Then months four through six, give 3% of your gross income. I want to challenge you to move to that. Months 7 through 9, give 5% of your gross income. Months 10 through 11, give 7% of your gross income. Month 12, give 10% of your gross income. I want to challenge you to start that takeoff to becoming a tither. And in 12 months, you watch how God radically changes your life. We're challenging. Let's take off with this. We've got to learn to give generously. Second thing is this. We've got to learn to save wisely. This is, this is just good, to save wisely. Now, write this fast. It, it's, wise, it's wisdom to save wisely. We've got to learn to save. 
um, it's wise to, to set, set money aside for future purposes is a good decision. It, it, it's solid judgment. It's wise to save wisely. Why? Because there are seasons of abundance in your life. There, there will be seasons of abundance when you will have more than you need. And when those times come, you need to make sure you're in the habit of saving, not spending every dime you have in those seasons of abundance. You shouldn't spend every dime you have anyway. The 10 10 80 principle is just a reality of your life. You give 10, that's a good place to start. Give 10, save 10, and live on 80%. But the reality is, all of us have times of abundance. And when that happens, we should not spend every dime because there are seasons of scarcity, aren't there? Haven't you known in your life there are seasons of scarcity when you don't have as much and you've got to tap into your savings? All of us will go through that. We'll go through that individually. We'll go through that corporately. You need to have goals with your money, with your savings. To save wisely, you ought to have goals. You ought to recognize there, there's a time to retire in your life. You ought, to, you ought to save money. You ought to think about that. The time value of money is important. You should consider that. Um, saving takes persistence. It's going to be easy not to save. We as a church, as individuals, we need to set aside money uh, and be persistent with this. We need to understand the habit of saving money. Is that a habit that you have? And it's going to take persistence. It's going to be hard. So I pray that we, we can learn to give generously, that we save wisely. And third, last point here is that we live appropriately. And this is a calling that we have, that, that we live right, we live appropriately. Living appropriately means that, that we manage our resources in a way that, is, that is, is financially healthy, but it's also kingdom advancing. That, that we're called to live appropriately. Do you know that as Christians, we are called to advance the kingdom of God on this, in this place? Starting here in Owasso, we're to advance the kingdom of God. And this is a call that we have. So here's what I pray we do. We develop a realistic view of our possessions. We need to see our possessions and hold them loosely. You know, it's not wrong to have, a nice, have nice things. That's not wrong, but let's not put our trust, let's not put our identity in these things. We hold our things loosely. We should have a nice church. We should have clean facilities. We should do well, like be responsible and stewards of everything we have. But, but let's, let's make sure that we develop a, a, a realistic view of our possessions. Like he says, if you love money, you'll never have enough. You know, um, it was so amazing as Pam, when we were on our mission trip with our students this, this spring break, Pam Wilson, uh, who's a, one of our leaders for our students, got up in front of all these immigrant kids that have come across our border that, are, that we went and ministered to. And Pam said, look, I lived the American dream. And it didn't satisfy me. And that's the truth for all of us. You know, um, develop a realistic view of, our, of your possessions. You've got to know what you can afford. You should live within your means. Let's be people that live within our means. Know what we can afford. We advance, uh, third thing, we advance God's kingdom. Advance God's kingdom over your own kingdom. And this is something I pray we do. It's my prayer as I raise my family, as I, as I live my life, as, I, as we serve together in this church, that we advance God's kingdom over our kingdom. It's not about me or uh, my, you know, gifts as a pastor. I'm, uh, 
I've, I've got to grow. But let's be focused on advancing God's kingdom over our own kingdom. We should ask better questions before we purchase things. You know, do we really need these things? Do we really need that brand new car? Do I really need that expense? Do I really need to buy that? And you know what I want to find out in my own life? I want to find out if, if I'm devoted to earthly things or heavenly things. Can, can you ask yourself that question today? Are you devoted to earthly things or heavenly things? And this is something, this, this prayer, or excuse me, this conviction that's become a prayer that is now a goal. Do you know what I've learned about us in America? I mean, I was talking to Barry Allen last night when he, he spent 6th, 7th, and 8th grade in Columbia. And last night I said, what was that like? Well, how'd that shape you, I said. And he goes, I learned that, man, the world is different than Owasso, Oklahoma. You know that's true? Do you know that we are rich? You know what the Bible says in 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19? He says, as for the rich... In this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. And it's my prayer. It's a conviction that's been a prayer that's now a goal that we as a church grow to financial maturity. And I believe God's going to accomplish that in us and through us. But oh, let, me, let, let us allow God to speak to us today that our trust is not in stuff. So maybe today in our invitation, and I, I, we got to wrap up today because we have Sunday school and lots of things, but um, Joe's going to lead us in a song. And maybe the invitation for you is just to sit right there and say, God, and, and I want to ask you all, every one of us, to pray this prayer. God, would you move me to financial maturity? Now, the reason why this is important is because we've surrendered to Christ. We know what it's like to be forgiven. You may not know what that's like. Oh, I just want you to know you need Jesus more than you need the next breath that you take. And I pray you don't go one more day without knowing Christ. And we'll be down here. If you need Christ, you can talk to us after the service. Because this is really a message for those of us that know Christ. We're called to maturity. Can we push one another and spur one another on? towards maturity? Are you willing to follow the Lord with your finances?